all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. You're listening to a podcast of Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. To your previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Good morning and thank you everyone for joining us today. This is Relatively Speaking, the show all about you and your family. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. And today we need to talk a little bit more about school. School, whether attending face-to-face or to do virtual learning, is at the top of so many conversations right now. That of mothers, fathers, teachers, and grandparents. What is really the right thing to do? Today, we might not have the answer to that question for everyone because it actually differs for each family. But I want to explore why many have felt so conflicted about keeping children at home and doing virtual learning. There are pros and cons for sure, and we'll explore those. We'll also talk about the social-emotional aspects of learning and why we need to pay very close attention to what's going on in our children's lives as we continue to navigate through this very difficult time. So I want to hear from you today, what's going on in your life, to join in the conversation, ask a question, or even even lend some advice, um, please do give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. But before we move to this topic, I do want to be sure that listeners who heard last week's show understood that it was a repeat that first aired in March when COVID-19 was rearing its ugly head. I know some of you, because I've heard a couple of calls from you, that you heard me talk about the social distancing or physical distancing was one meter or about three feet. That's what we knew then. So much has changed, and we now know that a distance of six feet, particularly for adults, is what we need to do to to be able to prevent those droplets of sputum uh, coming from our mouths as we speak to keep them from getting in someone else's face, and that we need to be wearing masks. We didn't even talk about that at that show back in March. Um, The gatherings for um, people inside and out are much smaller than were originally recommended. And, you know, things in the last five months have changed so drastically. The reason is not because people were trying to give misinformation, but because COVID-19 is a novel, brand new virus. And so the novel virus means that it's different, has different characteristics, get different contagion. Um, 
different reoccurrence rates than anyone before because it's novel. So scientists obviously are doing research and and looking at what's going on. Um, and now we have research that that tells us a whole lot more than we knew before. Do we know everything? No, we don't. And in fact, um, some of you may have heard that um, there was a recent case just yesterday, I believe, reported in Japan where there was a documentation of someone getting reinfected again, a new infection um, who had been documented to recover from COVID-19 and then got reinfected. Um, we're still learning. So keep in mind, um, on any of our, our Southern Remedy shows, if there is a show that is, is played in repeat because for whatever reason that needs to happen, um, things have changed so much since March. And um, so you might hear some information out there that you know now is not correct. But I do appreciate those listening closely and um, noting that something, something sounded a little bit fishy there. All right, well, let's jump into today's topic. And feel free if there's something um, else you want to add to the show other than today's topic, call in. I'm game. You can call us. Um, so schools provide more than just academics to children and adolescents. I think we all know that. And it's hard to know who who will be the most impacted from the lack of the typical social interaction that all of our children have gotten over the years in school. Um, the very young child needs to learn social interaction emotionally, how to handle groups, how to share how to have back and forth conversations um, with children their own age, with peers, how to listen to rules and regs, how to sit in a desk and learn, and things like that. Now, adolescents hopefully have learned the majority of what I just mentioned um, for young children, but how important is peer-to-peer -peer interaction for adolescents? It is monumentally important and clearly documented that from an emotional, social standpoint, teens um, value their peers more than their family, more than their, their parents, typically. And that's just part of social-emotional growth. So... Just throwing that out there. So in addition to reading and writing and math, students learn those social emotional skills. They also get exercise typically because um, of the PE, hopefully, that schools continue to have. They have access to some mental health support. They have access to food that some children don't have access to um, in their own homes. Um, and for a lot of children and adolescents, schools are safe places to be while their parents or guardians are working. So work, we haven't even started to mention um, how that has been impacted for, for our families um, who are trying to keep their families healthy, um, keep their families fed 
keep, you know, their houses and and their utilities going um, while they are trying to turn into these caretakers, not just caretakers of their children, but their their teachers and their social outlets. So today I'm excited that we're going to have um, a, a couple of visitors who are going to call in um, and visit us about how they've managed. Um, one is Lauren Elliott, a nurse practitioner with our Mississippi Thrive team at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. And the other is Genevieve Garrett, Genevieve, sorry, Genevieve Garrett, a social worker who um, is also on the Mississippi Thrive team at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. And they actually have different approaches. So you'll hear from both of them as we move along. But but I really do want to hear from you. What are you doing? How are you managing things? Um, have you already stumbled? Do you feel like things aren't going well? Do you have some advice? Um, as we move along in the show, I also have some some tips, some tips for teachers, but also tips for parents on how to navigate through as maybe some of the social emotional issues um, begin to present in your children, if they haven't already. Um, I think all of you know that that I'm who listen to this show, hear me talk about my grandchildren. I have 11. Um, they are all in different places, actually. As you know, you know, they're, they're from four different families. Uh, the families all have different circumstances. Some of the parents have to work. Some of the parents um, are, are trying to navigate teaching at home. Um, and so... I understand that there is no set way to approach this, but we have to individualize it for each child. So, love for you to jump in. I'm going to throw the phone number out again. That's one eight seven seven MPB ring eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Um, you know. There's so much psycho psychological science, psychology out there that tells us the social context, interpersonal relationships, emotional well-being are, are really just as important to um, our students and our children as academic learning. And so we, we hope that we can offer some guidance as as we move along in this. And um so really, let's let's hear how it's going for you. What are some of the tips that you have learned to help your child adjust? How are you handling this? And how are your children adjusting to this? I think this is a good time for us to take a break. When we come back, we'll pull in Lauren Elliott. But we have open phone lines, and we want to hear from you, too. This is Relatively Speaking. We're talking about not just school learning, but social-emotional learning, too. We'll be right back.
Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back, and thanks for listening. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress. I'm here on Relatively Speaking, and we are talking about COVID-19 and navigating the start of school, um, the social-emotional development in your child. How have you decided to do school this year? Is it virtual learning? Is it homeschooling? Is it back to school and face-to-face learning with all the new rules and regs that have been implemented due to that. We know that uh, even in the school setting, a lot of the typical social-emotional interactions that children have been able to receive from schools maybe are a little bit different now. No more big lunch rooms. Um, no more wild play on the playgrounds in many cases due to the more controlled number of groups. Um, maybe limited groups of children are allowed to be together now. So, and, and certainly now the spacing, um, no more allowances of all the bear hugs um, on the playgrounds or, or even in the lunchroom. Um, a little bit sad, right? Um, so just making sure that as we navigate through this, we do the very, very best thing we can do for our children, keeping in mind that we're not we're, we're not just talking about academics, and yes, obviously academics are important, but I've heard a lot of talk about the anxiety and fear that kids are going to get behind academically. Um, that may be a concern, but I think our bigger concern needs to, make sh- needs to be that we make sure about the social, emotional well-being of our children and doing the best we can for them in that avenue. Um, So um, I want to go ahead. It looks like we have our first caller, and I know we have Lauren Elliott on the line, um, too. Let's go to Ferdinand from Clinton um, first and see what Ferdinand has to say. Hi there. Thanks for calling. Good morning. Thank you all for this show. It, uh, I know it's very important for uh, all our uh, parents uh, that we are doing uh, virtual learning. I, I have uh, currently two kids that are doing virtual learning, and uh, me and my wife are uh, essential workers, so we do work uh, uh, jobs that require us to be there uh, for uh 12 or more hours sometimes. Um, One thing that, um, because we're new to to Mississippi, uh, one thing that I have noticed is how uh, green and how uh, wonderful this place is, and we're happy to be here. 
uh, once and uh, our kids uh, miss the most uh, going uh, going out and and socializing and and with the new friends and everything. But uh, one concern that I have is, uh, as much as I want them to to be outside and socialize and and and, and go with their friends, just like you mentioned earlier, the teenagers like their peers more than their parents. And uh, sometimes uh, the concern that I have is uh, how safe uh, emotionally for them will be to continue this way, like the virtual learning. Yeah. Uh, And and what the consequences might be uh, that that we can... uh, uh, maybe try to prevent or try to to get them to to understand the situation. Uh, my uh, my oldest one is uh, twelve, so she understands a little bit. But uh, the the middle one, the son, is seven years old, so it's uh, first grade for him. So he does understand uh, a lot about uh, the the pandemic and the situation, but he doesn't understand why he can't socialize why he can't go and see his friends yeah so Ferdinand thank you those are some some great great questions first of all the the seven-year-old can understand if you sit down and talk to him about this in simple terms make sure that you explain that this is a virus that can make um friends and family ill, and so we're trying to protect everybody. Uh, That's one thing. The 12-year-old certainly um, becomes much more important for the the social interaction, but for both of them. So here's a recommendation that I would have. First of all, I'd sit down and make sure that you've talked through why everybody's doing what they're doing. That includes... um, the the mask, the social distancing, the hand washing and all of that to step through what that means, but that there are ways to protect yourselves. The other things that I would do, and I know several several families across the state have done this, is to think about developing a safe pod of friends. So um, perhaps there are a couple of other families that you know well and you vow to to isolate yourselves, to protect yourselves, to not go to big parties, not go to big weddings and funerals, that you determine that that you all have the same safe interactions. And then once you've done that, then you can allow your child's um, world to be expanded a little bit more. Because I do believe that going to face-to-face school is is a good thing for some, but for some, um, due to health concerns for other family members or for their children, um, it's it's just not working. So to to don't don't underestimate your child's intelligence. Um, uh, uh, sit down, talk to them, talk to them about how they feel. Some children are loving this. I will tell you, the more um, the the child who likes learning on their own schedule and all loves this. Some not so much and are really struggling. So it's important to take each child. You've got two. Take each child 
as an individual and talk to them individually to see where they are with this. So I, I hope that helped a little bit. I think um, it, like I said, um, if they look like they're withdrawing, they're sad, they are having difficulty, then it is truly time to address it and make sure that maybe some adjustments could be made that could help out. This yes, might be a good time. Um, thanks, Fernand, for your call. This might be a good time to pull Lauren in. Um, Lauren Elliott is a nurse practitioner um, on our Mississippi Thrive team, and she has two young children and has struggled as many working parents have. Hi, Lauren. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Dr. Butchers. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, yes, it has been well, a bit of a challenge for the last few months. I know it has. And um, even though we were um, working um, virtually for a little while, we're back in the office. And I know that means you're back in the office and your, your children, even if you had preferred to do virtual learning, um, would not have worked unless you had to reach out to someone else. Talk to us a little bit about that. How did you yes, come to your you decision? Exactly right. Yeah, so um, hybrid uh, option was offered and virtual um, learning was offered. So uh, my husband and I both work full time and um, love our jobs and need to have our jobs. And we knew that having our children at home all the time was not an option since we both need to be um, at our places of work. But um, despite that fact, because of the experience that we as a family had trying to work through some of the challenges that came up um, between March and May while school was still in session and while we were working virtually, um, we knew that wasn't a great option for our family. Um, my seven-year-old who is starting or has just started second grade actually um, told my husband, well, Daddy, I don't want to do school at home anymore. I'm just not good at that. And I said, buddy, <laughs> I don't think any of us were good at that. It wasn't your fault, but it was hard for me to be, you know, at the office at home um, where I needed to be on WebEx and Zoom and engaged with um, my work and to also be sitting across the table from my child who was on a Zoom with his class at the same time. So, um Lots of things to think yeah. about, but um, I'm happy he's back in, in the yeah. classroom. It sounds like Will is happy he's back, too. Um, I, I have a, a question for you. When, when he said, I'm not good at that, do you think he meant that it was just too hard for him to look at the screen and interact that way, or was it the sitting um, at the desk, or what did you find was the most difficult part of it for him, or could he could he articulate that? Yes, um, we did talk about it a little bit, and I think it's probably a little bit of of all of it. Um, you know, the fact that I had work to sit there and do, and that I was torn between, you know, oh my word, we've got to get schoolwork done, and I have to get my work done, and I have to just say I had a wonderful. Um, boss and a wonderful work setting where, you know, when things could be flexible, that was great. But when you, when I, as the mom um, and as the employee had to be 
present on a WebEx and couldn't help my child with the um, electronics um, signing on to Zoom or even doing electronic assignments. He's, he was learning to read at the time and still needed a lot of assistance um, figuring out what the directions were. So it wasn't like I could just sit him across from me at the kitchen counter and say, okay, yeah. you do your stuff, I'll do mine. Um, so yeah. that was all a challenge. Um, the timing of it was a challenge. Um, and just sitting there doing the work together was hard. He would much rather have his teacher help him. Um, he's, he's a sweet kid and he's uh, pretty laid back, but um, having your mom be your teacher when you're not used to that can be a challenge yeah. we've discovered. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that um, even having you understand early learning, I mean, that is your specialty, early childhood development, um, still does not make you a classroom teacher. And what you just mm -hmm. described is what I want our other listeners to call in and tell us how they have navigated through that and how their child adjusted. Um, when you realize that, no, I'm not the best teacher for my child, but you also have to get back to work and, and what to do. So Will is wearing a mask in school. Is that correct? Yes, ma'am. He wears the mask. They all wear the mask in the classroom. Thankfully, he is um, in a school that is able to have smaller class size. So they have a small class size. They social distance within the class and keep their masks on the whole day, um, yes. even during PE. And and uh, is he adjusting okay, or is he coming home upset about it? Oh, at at first, the first couple of days were a little bit tough because the mask was uncomfortable, and you know it hurts your ears. And so we've tried a few different things and they're all used to it at this point and I'm in a, a text group with some of the other moms in the same grade and um, it does not seem to be a problem um, for at least the, the kids who I'm connected with they're used to it now yeah yeah that's super well thank you Lauren for calling in I think what I wanted our listeners to hear is some of the struggles uh, that are coming from even the experts in the field of early child development navigating through and um, we'll get to after the break we'll get to um, another um, individual from my office who who has some information for us too about how she uh, was able to navigate and get things started maybe still with a few bumps but still making through um, it, I am being asked about before we go to the break very quickly is it healthy for students to wear a mask all day the answer is if a mask is worn appropriately and if it is a double layer cloth mask um, there is good evidence that it is fine to wear a mask all day. Um, all the information about rebreathing your own air is um, not not correct. Okay, you can breathe easily through a mask. It may not be comfortable, and that's why it's really important to select the right kind of mask. 
Okay, we'll go on to break now. We're talking about COVID-19, back to school, and the social-emotional development as we uh, go through this. Give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. We'll be right back. If you're a parent on the go, but still want to stay informed about your children's education, subscribe to Mississippi Education Connections podcast and listen on the go anytime, anywhere on your favorite podcast app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back and thanks for listening. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and we're talking about COVID-19, as usual. But a little more, the back-to-school and the social-emotional issues that are ongoing with just navigating through it. Like I said, I think um, we've seen a lot of comments from students and teachers and parents about missing the in-person connections and relationships at school. And, and how parents have come to the realization that, that they have to have a plan and they have to have a good plan. And maybe for at least the next few months, navigate through it, see how it goes and make some changes. Um, today, I want to make sure that we, as we do that, we recognize if our children are having um, areas of difficulty that we, we look at it. We figure out what we need to do, how your child maybe um, needs help, whether it's feeling lonely and alone, um, then perhaps we need to figure out a way to reach out so that they can connect with friends and, and other family members or whether it's that you're just not a good teacher and your child needs to get back to the classroom Um that just may be reality. And so to take a look at that and want to hear your experiences, you can call us at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's 877-672-7464. You can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. So um, we have Genevieve Garrett with us, but I want to first go to Diane from Ocean Springs. Um, Diane, hi. Thanks for calling. Hi, thank you. One of the concerns I have is whether there's going to be help in place for children who go back to school, who do become infected, and who take the virus back to a previously healthy family, um, perhaps with some health-compromised siblings, with a beloved grandparent who's older, and how how are parents going to get help in those situations where other family members get sick, um, perhaps worse than sick, 
and a child is old enough to realize that he was the entry point for that virus into his family. Mm. Uh, it's a concern I have. I don't hear it addressed anywhere. And it seems to me when we talk about the emotional well-being of children, we have got to address the possibility of guilt. Diane, you bring up an excellent point that, that honestly I've struggled with myself. So, yes, we, we ha- what we have to do is weigh the pros and cons of um, making sure that socially and emotionally the children are well as far as getting the social interaction. But at the same time, as I mentioned to Ferdinand, our first caller, our kids are bright. Our kids typically understand more than we think they do. And sometimes, as, as we know, children blame themselves even for things that aren't their fault. Like when a marriage breaks up, often children think that they were the reason because maybe they heard their parents arguing about something that had to do with them. And then the next thing they know, the parents have broken up. So you, you bring up a great point. Um, we are working very hard to expand services um, for children and families. I think we have to work very, very hard to make sure that a child is never made to feel like the absolute cause. What we have to keep in mind, and I think what we can remind children and adults who have felt guilty, is is that we don't, the, the virus is out there. There are a lot of asymptomatic carriers, people who can transmit the virus and they don't even know that they have it. So to remind the child that it may have come from somewhere else anyway is to me the best way we could go with that. But you're right. I think there are going to be, there There will be some backlash. And this is probably a great time to bring Genevieve Garrett in. Um, Genevieve, good morning, and thanks for calling in. Good morning. Thanks for having me, Dr. Buttress. Um, Genevieve, did you hear Diane's question while you were on hold? Were you able to hear what um, what her question was? I did. And so, um, and another thing kids are, our kids are resilient, right? So, and I kind of thought about that as she was asking her question and they look to us for how to respond to situations and distress. Right. So, um, that, that child that she gave in the scenario, they're going to look to the adults. So when I hear about a kid saying stuff like, um, I've heard, um, people say kids will say, well, I don't understand why I have to wear masks. Well, they didn't probably come up with that themselves. They've heard that from somewhere. So how we react to the situation, that's how our kids are going to go into the school. And if from the beginning, you know, we kind of talked about, to my kids, we talked about why we wear masks. And we started wearing masks from the beginning. So that's how they approach it now that they don't really even ask why we wear masks anymore. Because we've kind of always, we we try to instill in that, um, that in them in the beginning. Right. So So, listeners, you may or may not have heard earlier, Genevieve Garrett is a master's level social worker, licensed social worker at 
um, the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and I have the pleasure of working with Genevieve. Um, so I just wanted to let them know that we have another expert on the phone, Genevieve. It sounded like you were going to say something else before I interrupted. So and I'm just going to give a background about what we chose because I listened to Lauren, too. And as she was talking, I was like, that makes complete sense. All, all of the reasons for her choice. Um, but while all that made sense, we made kind of the opposite plan for our um, kiddos who are about the same ages as Lauren's kids. So we have a um, seven-year-old who would have been would be going who's in the second grade and a fresh kindergartner. So my daughter's five. And when the school presented their plans in the very beginning, and we the plans have changed multiple times since then, I think. But um, the options were school is normal, and or that's how we interpreted it, and the virtual learning, which was kind of um, sitting in front of the computer again, how we interpreted it for four or five hours a day. Um, and so my husband's a scientist and he makes very data informed decisions and, um, we just, we didn't have the data to kind of make that. We didn't feel like we had the data to make an informed decision about sending them back to school or make that choice to sending them back to school. But also I couldn't expect my seven-year-old and five-year-old to sit in front of the computer. So we were fortunate enough to have days where we could alternate taking days off and we made the choice to homeschool. And so for us, that allows us to plan ahead. So because we both work full time and our schedules aren't flexible on short notice with homeschooling, we were able to pick days when each of us could take off and choose when to school them. So we're schooling on the weekends. We're schooling um, maybe for 30 <laughs> minutes after work. And um, so we're, we're choosing. And on some days, it might be an hour. And on some days, when things get difficult, we do 10 minutes. Um, but we're able to do that with homeschool, and that's kind of why we chose that option um, for our kiddos. And um, yeah. just to kind of, so for everybody, I, I know COVID has thrown a wrench into everything. And is it stressful? Yes, um, it's stressful with our decision. I know Lauren's probably um, got some stress from making that decision. So I realize as a um, behavioral health, mental health professional, that no matter what decision you made, there's going to be some stress involved in that. Right. This is absolutely not not an easy thing. And a, another area that I wanted us to get into is is about any child with any kind of learning differences. So, you know, if there if there was a child with a lot of anxiety wrapped around school or who was dealing with a lot of bullying in school, being um, doing virtual learning may be a relief because now this child feels like they're in a safer spot. But on the other side of the coin, if you have a child who is not fortunate enough to have um, parents who can make that kind of informed decision and, um, you know, they, they have to go to work um, in a situation where virtual learning is the only way the school is approaching things, that child is at a decided disadvantage because either parent is having to work and leave the child mm -hmm. at home alone, which is a dangerous situation, mm -hmm. or the child is at home with a parent who can't help them with the virtual learning or our bandwidth. Um, 
and the connectivity does not allow for that. So we're all struggling trying to make those accommodations. Sorry, just because we made that choice, absolutely. And I work with, you know, all different types of families that have to make different decisions. Um, and that's kind of my motto for 2020 is survive and give lots of grace, like grace for families, for parents, for my own kids. And I, I remind parents of this daily, give yourself grace. Um, because it's just hard right now. Oh, Genevieve, I think this is a great time for me to bring in um, our next caller. It's Erin from Nashville. And Erin is actually, for listeners, my daughter, who has come up with another decision. So, hey, Erin, thanks for calling in. Hi. I um, listeners, I asked Erin to call in because I knew we had Lauren and Genevieve with their situations, and Erin's is a little bit different. Erin, tell everybody what you decided to do and how you came to that decision. Well, our district is currently all virtual um, until possibly uh, at least for another few weeks, I think. Um, and at that point, they said they will give, if they can, they will give the students the option to come in person or virtual, or, uh, but that you'll have to choose to stay with one for the entire semester, so all the way until winter break. And uh, we opted to stay all virtual for the um, consistency uh, since we didn't, we felt uncomfortable with the idea of maybe going back, maybe going virtual, maybe switching back and forth. Uh, That just felt a little too unsettled for us. So we decided to just say, okay, we're going to do this virtual thing for a few months and see what happens. So how's it going? Um, Some days it goes (laughs) great and and a a lot of days it's total chaos. Um, But I am home with the kids. Um, I work freelance, so I uh, was able to be home and be available to help them. Um, and I cannot imagine how working families are making this work. It's, it's a lot. They need a lot. Yeah. What do you think is the most challenging piece? And Genevieve, feel free to jump in here. But the, what's the most challenging piece of um, working with your, your two little ones? Uh, well, for me, for me, uh, there are a couple of things. The most common challenge is just little technical glitches that seem to happen mm-hmm. all the time that need management. Well, maybe the Internet's a little slow that day and can't keep up with the streaming or, uh, you know, today we had standardized testing and um, one of the computers just wasn't compatible with the test and Little things like that seem to pop up all the time. Genevieve, what about you? Um, you've mentioned this that um, parents aren't teachers, and I did. My mom was a teacher, and she always said, you know, if you're a teacher, you never stop working because you're constantly lesson planning or teaching. And I did not go into education because I'm not a teacher. Um, so I've assigned <laughs> math and science to my husband. And he texted me yesterday and he said, what in the world is this common core math? He had to look it up. So for us, it's teaching ourselves the concepts that we're supposed to be teaching them, definitely. 
Yes, yeah, totally. They're very different. Um, the The way that they learn math now is, I think it's great, but it is so different than what we learned. And it's, uh, it's a lot. I'm learning along with my four, uh, fourth grader a lot. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's really tough. And I think Erin, um, listeners is, um, like she said, works freelance, but she has been an individual who ran camps for special needs children. So she's got a lot of experience in working with, with kids and sometimes difficult kids. And this might be a good time too, for us to bring up, um, where it might be even more difficult for parents and for the kiddos at home or at school. Um, The ADHD child, the child with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, trying to sit in front of a computer for a long time is difficult. Sitting in a classroom is difficult. Um, I think sitting in a classroom now where there's the social distancing, the smaller classrooms, um, hopefully uh, a a little bit uh, more structure, perhaps has is a little bit easier on kids with ADHD, but it might be harder because if they have to sit still and stay in their space, that's one of those difficult things for kids with ADHD. And I, I just wonder um, either if either one of you have a, a comment about that. Um, has that, do you think the virtual learning um, or the ability to homeschool has made that easier or harder? Um, for us, for that, and that's another reason we chose homeschool because my seven-year-old could not sit in front of a computer for that length of time. Um, even when we did art class that he loves in person, um, when we were doing it in the spring virtually, he just he, he he said, "Mom, I don't like art on the computer." And so with homeschool, that gives us the ability to incorporate in a lot more breaks and active movement, learning through games. So for us, we needed that because he could not. Sit. But I could see how for um, the kiddos in the school that those smaller settings would be helpful in a lot of ways. Um, it would limit distraction, and I would hope that teachers are going to be able to have a little more one-on-one time with those kids that need it. So it's kind of created an atmosphere to have one-on-one plans for more kids than just our kids with special needs. Mm. I think that's a good idea. Well, why don't we talk about a few things now? And and again, Erin and Genevieve, feel free to to jump in. Um, I'm going to just go through a couple of things um, for those who are are teaching remotely now, um, and then we'll talk about a couple of things for um, for those who are back at school. Um, so. If you are having structured learning at home, then it's important to have a classroom area. You need to make sure that there is clearly an area that is the learning area. So try to get it clutter-free, free free of distractions. You don't have have to have a separate study. It might just be the the dining table or the kitchen table. But... Clear it off, make it free of distractions as best you can. Try to have a structured time for the learning. Try to have it quiet. Make sure other electronics aren't out there and distracting. I know my my oldest 
um, grandson, Cohen, uh, loves electronic games. But I know that those are completely out of the way, right, Erin, when you're trying to have your learning. Yes, of course. Yeah, of course. And so to, to make sure it's distraction-free, um, some keep in mind that the being panicked about making huge academic leaps at this time is probably not where we should be. If you can maintain status quo and make sure children don't lose what they've already learned, I think is a really important thing. Um, parents and um, and families and dads, all you know, grandparents need to cut themselves some slack and realize that that it's okay. What you need to do is give yourself some time. Um, I know we're we've got very limited time. Um, Genevieve, any other final comments before we have to leave? Um, just just want to reiterate the fact that kids are resilient, and I really think that this isn't going to last forever. And my mom always tells me that you can wrestle a bear for a short period of time, and that's what we're doing right now. We're wrestling a bear, and I think our kiddos are going to jump right back in and not miss a beat. And we're going to be there for those kids that do need that extra help. But I just really think that our kids are resilient and gonna they're going to be fine. Right. I, I completely agree. Erin, any last words? Um, I will say we have been trying to talk about the positives of virtual learning a lot. And my children both agreed that not having to find their shoes in the morning is one of the biggest positives <laughs> uh, we have uh, come across during our uh virtual learning journey and so you can find little positives everywhere you look <laughs> there's always a light always a positive <laughs> i think on that note we'll finish don't have to find your shoes all the time so <laughs> thanks so much for calling honey and genevieve thank you so much for all the expert advice you give to to families out there um thank thanks you. listeners thank and you. um I want to thank Michelle McAdoo, who is also struggling with her adolescent um, child trying to do remote learning. Our show uh, was engineered and produced by Michelle, and I'm Dr. Susan Buttress. I think our call screener may have been Michelle also. Um, I hope you'll join us next Tuesday at 11 for Relatively Speaking and that you'll stay tuned for NPR's Here Now, coming up next on MPB Think Radio.